Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, the podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word. Together, I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are in Luke chapter 10, and this continues our theme that we've been going over in the last couple of chapters on what it means and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It continues this main idea of what does a disciple do? What does a disciple look like? And we're going to see here that a disciple goes, prays, proclaims, rejoices, loves his neighbor, listens to the teaching of Jesus. We're going to very quickly scamper through this chapter, and I really recommend you go back and read the full chapter and and think on it and meditate on it. It's a beautiful chapter worthy of your reading and your praying over and your meditating on. This podcast is never meant to be a meal replacement, but it is meant to be a supplement to your Bible reading. So we begin in Luke chapter 10, verses 1, and we see that we are sent out with prayer. And we see that through a very famous passage that says, after the Lord appointed 72 others. Now, who are these 72? We, we don't know. We're not given their names. But just like he had commissioned the 12, he gathered them and sent them out. He will gather 72 and send them out two by two, in every town that he was about to go. They're preparing the way for Jesus. And he tells them in verse 2, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send, to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, and behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So we see that Jesus tells his disciples, tells his 72 disciples, you are to go. That First and foremost, someone who follows Jesus goes. He goes to proclaim the gospel. We talked about that in chapter 9. It's again a theme in chapter 10. But this time Jesus adds, you go praying earnestly. So we see that we pray not only earnestly. And what is earnestly? We pray with intensity for the laborers. Well, by the way, he's telling them to pray, one, for more laborers, but also pray for themselves because he is sending them out as laborers. And he tells his people that are about to go and to be those laborers, pray that God would raise up even more laborers because the harvest is ready. It's plentiful. There's many to harvest, but the workers are few. And he tells them, pray to who? Pray to the Lord of the harvest, that what? There would be more workers. And I would recommend that even in our 21st century churches, that we would also be praying, even now, that God would continue to raise up more workers to reap a very plentiful harvest all over the world. But how do you pray? Pray with intensity. Who do you pray to? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to God. Pray to Christ that he would raise up an army of followers who would go, whether that be across the street, across the state, across the country, or across the world, but that they would go. Pray why? Because this world is hostile. He does not tell them that he is sending them out as wolves in the midst of lambs. He says, no, 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 you are 
lambs in the midst of wolves. You see, this world is hostile to the gospel message. Therefore, we really shouldn't be surprised when we encounter hardships and when we encounter people who hate us because of our love of Christ. We love Jesus. The world hated Jesus. Therefore, the world will hate us. And by the way, in other parts of the Gospels, Jesus promises his disciples, they hated me, therefore they will hate you as well. It's not a warm, fuzzy promise, but it's a real promise. Uh, but he doesn't just make that promise that, yes, it's a hostile world, and, and yes, they're going to hate you and tough luck. He says, but I'll be with you. And he says that very prominently in Matthew, where he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, meaning go, I'm there with you. He's telling them, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll raise up more workers. And there's that little bit that we talked about last week that he gives them the authority to go. And then he supplies the means by which they are to do what they are called to do. Jesus does not send us out as lambs who are empty, but sends us out full of the Holy Spirit going with us. And he tells them, go into this hostile world and proclaim the gospel. And he actually tells them, take no provisions with you. And, and we have this sort of strange thing as he says, proclaim the gospel, do so without taking a lot of things. And I, I want to point this one out because this often will stump people. And he says, uh, talking about when you enter a house, you know, you're going to stay in that house. In fact, he says in verse 7, do not go from house to house. Now, for one thing, he says, find a house. And if that person's willing to keep you and supply your needs, stay there. Because a laborer does deserve his wages, but also you're not to go house to house. You see, as we go earnestly in prayer, as we go proclaiming the gospel, we do so in a way that honors Christ. And so what he was warning against was don't receive provision from one house and then it's enough to supply you while you're there, but then go to another house and obtain even more provision so that you come out in abundance. He's keeping them from taking advantage of people's hospitality. Therefore, yes, go and stay in that house as long as they keep giving you stuff, but don't go house to house, even if people are willing, because you're taking advantage of their hospitality. Do so in a way that glorifies God, but proclaim the gospel. And we see that in verses 9 through 11. He says, Heal the sick in those cities and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. And even for those who have rejected the gospel, he says, tell them as well that the gospel has come near to you, or the kingdom of God, rather, has come near to you. He's telling them to go and proclaim the gospel. This is the gospel message. And then we find out that as we are sent to go in prayer, we're also to rejoice in the gospel harvest. We see this when they return in verses 17 and following. See, they return and with joy, saying to the Lord, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And then we see in verse 21, in that same hour, he that is Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. 
Isn't it wonderful to know that as we go and we proclaim the gospel, one, it's okay to rejoice, rejoice, take joy that people are hearing the gospel and that people are responding to the gospel, but also take comfort in that Jesus also takes joy and rejoices in the proclamation of the gospel, that when you share God's love with somebody, Jesus himself rejoices. So take heart. But Jesus warns them, as you rejoice, rejoice in the right things. You see, the demons were subject to them, and they were excited about that. And certainly, there was a reason to be excited. They were seeing spiritual power like they have never seen before. But Jesus tells them, don't be excited just because the demons are subject to you. No, be excited that your names are found in the book of life. Be excited in that it is about your salvation. It is about the salvation that you are offering to others by by sharing the gospel. You're welcoming into that salvation. And that is more important, and that is more exciting, and that is to be rejoiced in more so than just the demons being subject to you or the spiritual realm being subjected to to you in the name of Jesus. He's saying, keep focused on the more important things. We also see as we continue through this chapter, the disciple, the follower of Jesus, prays earnestly. He goes and he shares the gospel and rejoices in it, but he also loves his neighbor. Neighbor, You see, in verses 25 and thir- through 37, we have this story that we often call the Good Samaritan, and let me summarize it for you. A lawyer stands up and he wishes to test Jesus, which generally never goes well for the one testing Jesus because it always is they who are put to the test, and that's exactly what happens here. He tests Jesus and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, you're a lawyer, you tell me. And he says, all right, well, uh, the Bible says, and he's referring there to the Old Testament, says, that we are to love God with all our heart, with our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. You've answered correctly. Then he says, go and do that, and eternal life is yours. Here's the thing. The lawyer's not interested in that. He's trying to justify himself, and he says, oh, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? He thinks he's got Jesus here. Well, okay, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, tell me who my neighbor is. And Jesus tells them a story that was shocking and provocative for its time and really in our time today as well. You see, he tells them that it's not an option to love your neighbor. It's a requirement, meaning the mark of somebody who loves Jesus, the mark of somebody who is a disciple of our Lord and Savior is one who loves his neighbor. Now, the parable answers the question, who are we to love as our neighbor? And what Jesus will do is he'll tell a story about a Jewish man who goes, he gets robbed. A priest, is he the neighbor? Well, he passes by. Is the Levite the neighbor? He passes by, but the Samaritan, the foe of the Jewish man, the enemy that should hate this man, that should absolutely revel in the fact that he has been robbed and beaten and laying on the road alone, takes care of this man, puts him up in a hotel and says, hey, whatever it costs, I'll pay it back. And he asked the lawyer, which of these three were the neighbor? And I'd imagine that if we could 
spy on this scene, if we could go back in a time machine and look into this scene, we would see that man, his skin crawling, maybe his brow furling as he looks at Jesus and says, I guess it would be the third one, the one that showed him kindness and mercy. I don't think he answered that in a nice way. I don't think the lawyer was happy to hear this, even though he answered correctly. It was a begrudging answer because what Jesus had shown him is everyone is your neighbor, even those that you are supposed to hate, even your enemies are your neighbors that you are supposed to love, even as yourself. That is who your neighbor is. And Jesus ends with the challenge. As I said earlier, often when people try to trap Jesus, it winds up being a trap for themselves. Jesus looks at the man and for the second time says, go and do likewise. And as Luke records that phrase, go and do likewise, he does it for his reader Theophilus, and he does that for us today as well, that we too, just like that lawyer, the challenge is ours, go and do likewise. Don't just find your neighbors as those that you already love or that are easy to love. Understand that we are to love even our enemies as ourselves, and we are to treat them with kindness and mercy. We are to share the gospel with them. Oh, even our most hated enemy. Share the gospel with them that the love of Christ might change them and redeem them. That's hard, but that is what it looks like, and that is what we are called to do and to be as disciples of Jesus. As we get ready to conclude this chapter, we go into our final story of it, of this chapter, and it is that a disciple prays earnestly. A disciple loves their neighbor, and a disciple listens to Jesus's teachings. You see, we get this story of Martha and Mary. You've probably heard this if you've been around church for any length of time. This is a pretty famous story. If you haven't, welcome into this story here in Luke. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But Jesus answered Martha and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So let me very quickly explain this story because it can be taken incorrectly if we're not careful. We see that again, the disciple of Jesus listens to the teachings of Jesus. You see, Martha was serving. Now, there's nothing wrong with serving. This is not Jesus saying, don't be a servant, because he says many times, be a servant. This isn't a, an excuse for you to go, well, there's no reason for me to serve in the church because, you know, Martha served and Jesus reprimanded her. That's not what's happening here. Service is good, but The time is important, and the priority is important. Notice, Luke is very explicit in the text. It's not that Martha was serving, was angry, and came to Jesus and said, can Mary help? She became distracted with 
serving. She should have been resting at the master's feet. Instead, she was too busy serving to focus on what Jesus was saying. This is the person who is in church who might be very, very active in church. They are so active, they do not take time, whether in their personal lives or corporately, to sit at the master's feet and learn to come before Christ, to hear His Word, to meditate and dwell on it. They don't do that because they don't have time. They're too busy serving. You can be too busy serving God and not hear God and miss God. That's the same thing as, well, I'm doing all these good things, but you're missing the point. You're missing the God that you're supposed to be worshiping. Your service begins to be not worship to God, but worship to self, or worship simply to busyness or the feeling of accomplishment. We are to serve in a way that honors and worships Christ. And Martha had lost sight of that. You see, she had become distracted with much serving. And Jesus says, no, you've been distracted. On the other hand, Mary is choosing to listen to my teachings. Therefore, he's offering Martha a chance to stop being busy and to come and sit beside her sister and to learn from the master. You see, serving is good, but the priority is and must be to sit at the master's feet, to take in the lessons that Jesus is teaching us to sit and to dwell in his presence is more important than the acts of service. They are important, but there's a time and there's a place. You cannot prioritize service over time in God's word. You see, hearing God's word is the only thing that is necessary, and Mary in this story chose the good portion. She chose rightly to dwell at the master's feet. And Luke, in telling us this story, is saying, brothers and sisters, don't be distracted with serving. Sit at the feet of the master. The disciple who follows Jesus sits at the feet of the master and does not become distracted by other things. So to follow Jesus, we must pray as we share the gospel. We must rejoice, and we will rejoice as the kingdom grows. And we must love our neighbors unconditionally. Who is our neighbors? They are all the people we rub shoulders with. All the while sitting under the teaching of our master and dwelling in his presence. That is what it means, and that is what it practically looks like to be a follower of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Thank you for joining me in Luke chapter 10, and I look forward to joining you in Luke chapter 11 next time. I'll see you there.